This is Psalm 51. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at this psalm today, and we're primarily going to be looking at the first 12 verses of the psalm, we're going to ask ourselves three questions. First, we're going to ask the question, how deep is my sin? Second, what should I do when I see the depths of my sin? And then third, what hope do I have? First question we're going to be asking is, how deep is my sin. At first glance, it's really obvious what this psalm is about. The title says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Many of you know the story of David and Bathsheba from 2 Samuel 11, and then Nathan coming to him in 2 Samuel chapter 12. It's a tragic story of a king A king whom Scripture tells us is a man after God's own heart. He commits adultery, lies about it, and then ultimately he commits murder to cover it up. And so this title gives us the expectation that we are going to read David's confession of those sins. But we actually get something pretty different than that. It's a confession, but this confession shows us that our sin is much deeper than we'd like to think. 
Look at the way David talks about his sin in the first five verses of this psalm. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I want you to notice that there are some times where it's clear that David is talking about his sinful actions. In verse 1, he asks that God would blot out his transgressions. In verse 4, he says that he has done what is evil in God's sight. However, the rest of this section doesn't speak of David's sinful actions. David doesn't talk about his sin primarily as a thing that he did. Instead, he speaks of his sin as something inside of him. Look with me at verse 2. He says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. There are two different Hebrew words for wash. One is when you wash your own body. It's to cleanse yourself of something on the surface of your skin. The other word for wash is when you wash a garment or a piece of clothing. This second kind of washing has to get all the way through the substance of the thing that is being washed. The dirt and the grime aren't just on the surface. They are all through the garment. David here uses the word for washing a garment when he asks God to wash him of his iniquity. Sin isn't just on the outside of him. It is all through him. He needs a pervasive washing. He needs to be cleansed from within. And so also with us, because our sin is not just something we do. It is a part of us. The term we often use for this idea is original sin. As J.I. Packer says, the assertion of original sin makes the point that we are not sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because we are sinners. Let me say that again. The assertion of original sin makes the point that we are not sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because we are sinners. In other words, we don't just do bad things, but we have bad motives, desires, wills, and thoughts. And from the corruption or the pollution of those things, out of that comes all our sinful actions and our words. Jesus says something very similar to the Pharisees in Mark 7, when they're complaining about the fact that the disciples have not done a ritual washing before they eat. This is what Jesus says to them. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. 
All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. What this means is that our sin is much deeper than we would like to admit. This is what David means in verse 5 when he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying that his mother sinned in the act of conception, or even that the act of conception itself is somehow defiling. He's looking at the beginning of his life, and he's saying, sin, my sin, didn't come onto the scene later in life. No, this sin, this twisted and corrupt and tainted heart has been with me from the very beginning, even from the moment of conception. This is how deep our sin goes. It shows up in our actions, but it starts deeper in our thoughts, in our motivations, and in our desires. Our entire nature is corrupt and polluted. And this didn't happen at some point later in our life. It is there from the very beginning. Do you see how this changes how we think about ourselves and our sin? What is wrong with me? Oh, you know, I mess up sometimes, and I've messed up really big a few times in my life. I don't always do what I should do, but for the most part, I'm a pretty good person. No, that is not what the Bible teaches us about our sin. The most fundamental answer to the question, what is wrong with me, is that my heart is polluted. My human nature that God created as good, that He created in righteousness and holiness, is now corrupt. I don't want the things that I ought to want, and I do want the things that I shouldn't want. My desires, my will, my disposition, my motivation, all of it is crooked and perverted and tainted. This is the way that David is talking about his sin. This is why he comes to God pleading with him for mercy. There is something fundamentally wrong with David. He is a sinner. And so he doesn't just need a little bit of counseling or a couple of do-overs or a new game plan to keep him away from temptation when it pops up. No, he needs a new heart. He needs internal cleansing. He needs to be washed thoroughly of this polluted nature. So as we hear this from David, let me ask you, is this the way that you think about your own sin? Do you think of your sin as a few aberrations in a pretty much good life? Do you think of your sin primarily as a failure to execute? I knew what I was supposed to do, and I just didn't do it. Or do you think of your sin as a problem as deep as your will and your mind and your heart? How pervasive, how deep do you think that your sin is? David says that it's everywhere in him, and it's been there from the very beginning. So the next question is, what do I do? What should I do when I realize the depths of my sin? What we just talked about can be pretty discouraging. I thought I was kind of bad some of the time. Turns out I'm much worse 
than I thought. So what do I do? Well, let's look at what David does with that. Read with me verses 7 through 12. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So what does David do when he sees the depths of his sin? The first and most important thing that David does is he runs to God. We're reading a song of confession that David wrote when Nathan came to him. This is a prayer. Instead of running away from God when he was confronted in his sin, he is running to God. I played Little League Baseball when I was a kid. I was not very good, so they stuck me in right field, which is where they stick people who are not very good, apparently. Uh, One thing that you always have to deal with when you're an outfielder is pop flies. And so that's what practice was. It was pop fly after pop fly after pop fly. The difficult thing as an outfielder is that the moment when the ball is hit, it looks like it's going to come down in front of you. And so there's the temptation for your first step to be a step in toward the ball. That's not good. Because if your first step is in, it's almost impossible to recover when the ball is actually behind you. And so practice was drilling in again and again and again a change in muscle memory, a change in mindset that your first step, even though it seems like it ought to be in, should be back. This is similar to what we are doing with our sin. Our temptation, week in and week out, when we sin, when we are confronted in our sin, is to hide. It's to cover it up. It's to run away from God. And so part of the thing that we're doing in our confession of sin each week is retraining ourselves. We are retraining ourselves that God is calling us into His presence, even in our sin. He's opening His arms wide and saying to come to Him and confess our sins to Him. This is what we are doing when we confess our sins, and this is what David does. The first thing he does is he runs to God. The second thing David does is he admits his sin. This is what we just looked at in the first point, that David admits how deep his sin is. It's not just sinful actions, but it's also his sinful nature. So he acknowledges his sin to God. The third thing that David does, and that we ought to do, is to ask God for forgiveness. David recognizes that his sin is sin against God. This is what he says in verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now David does not mean that he hasn't sinned against Bathsheba and against Uriah and against Michael, his wife, 
and against all of Israel and against the army that he put in danger, he doesn't mean that he hasn't sinned against them. What he is doing is he is recognizing that all sin is first and foremost against God. All sin is a rebellion against God's authority and His Lordship. It's an offense against Him. It's flouting His love. And so David says things like, blot out my transgressions. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. These are cries for forgiveness. David knows that he deserves God's punishment for his rebellion. And he's asking that God would be merciful instead and forgive him. This always ought to be an element in our confessions of sin. But the fourth thing that David does in this confession is something that we don't do nearly as much. And I believe it's connected with David's understanding and with our understanding of sin as pollution and a corrupt nature. What David does is he asks God not just for forgiveness, but for cleansing. Much of David's song is preoccupied with this request for cleansing, for washing, to be made clean. Look at what he says. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is the language of cleansing, of washing. David is not satisfied with just admitting his sin to God. He's not even satisfied, as glorious as it is, with forgiveness from the punishment of sins. David begs God that he would wash the pollution of his sinful nature away from him. That he would wash clean his desires and his thoughts and his motivations. That he would cleanse him of his sin. Do we do this? Do you find yourself asking for God to change you? to cleanse you, to give you pure motives and righteous desires and a pure heart? Or do you just ask that you wouldn't get in trouble for what you did? Do you just hope that the consequences aren't so bad? What we have to realize about our sin is that it's not just wrong. It's bad for us. Our sin destroys us and corrupts us and wrecks us. Sin is not just the cause of all the bad things in the world. It is in itself bad. It is evil. It robs us of the joy that God intended for us in this life. It is, as the Psalms say, the path to death. So we don't just ask for forgiveness. We ask that God would wash us clean. We ask that He would wipe clean our hearts and wash us of our sinfulness. And then fifth and finally, David asks for something else. He asks for reconciliation, for restored fellowship and relationship. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
Sin inhibits our fellowship with God. David is asking for that fellowship, the joy of hearing God's Word, the joy of salvation, the presence of His Holy Spirit. He is asking that that would be restored. He is asking that those things that have been hindered would be unhindered once more. He is asking for reconciliation. These five things make up David's response to seeing the depths of his sin. He runs to God. He admits and acknowledges his sin. He asks for forgiveness. He asks for cleansing. And he asks for reconciliation. Before we move on to the hope that we have, I want us to do some self-examination. I don't think that these five things need to be a checklist every time you confess your sins. It's, it's obvious that there will be sometimes that we lean into others, into some at the expense of the others. But I want you to see that if all of our confessions are only acknowledging our sin and asking for forgiveness, we're in danger of a stunted Christian life. A request for cleansing from our sins requires a hatred of it. You ask God to get rid of things that you hate. We ought to hate our sin. Is it possible that we don't ask for cleansing because we kind of like our sin? We don't like the consequences, but we're kind of okay with our sin. And asking for reconciliation, for restored fellowship, means that we mourn the loss of fellowship with God when it's not there. We want that fellowship. We want that relationship with God. Do you long with fellowship? Do you long for fellowship with God? Or is it so rare that you don't even notice the loss of it when you are in sin? If so, repent. Jesus opens wide his arms and asks you to come to him. Ask for cleansing. Ask for restored relationship. Repent and run to Jesus. This is the heart of the final question. What is our hope? Look with me at verse 1 to see where David's hope was in the midst of the depths of his sin. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. David asks God to be merciful and then immediately says why he is hopeful that God will be merciful to him. And it's because of God's character. He says, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant or your overflowing mercy. David uses similar language in Psalm 103 as hope in the midst of his sin. Listen to what he says. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those 
who fear Him. The hope that we have in the face of our sins is not that we are strong enough to overcome the next temptation. It's not that maybe we can do enough good to outweigh the bad that we have done. You can try those things again and again and again, and they will not work. Our only hope is that the God to whom we run is compassionate. He is merciful and gracious. He is overflowing in steadfast love. The only hope that we have is the character of our God. David, as he writes this, has the promise of God's mercy and his steadfast love. He trusted in God's word. He trusted in the promise in his time of great need. But our hope is not merely in a promise. What we have as Christians is not just the promise of God's love, but the proof of God's love for us. We have proof that God is merciful and gracious, that He is overflowing in steadfast love. If you want to know what God's response is when you run to Him in your sin, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus who became a man to save us from our sins. Look to Jesus who suffered the punishment for our sins so that we don't have to. Look to Jesus who rose from the dead to new life and promises that we will participate with Him in that new life as new creations in Him. Look to Jesus who pours out His Holy Spirit upon us to purge us of our sin and to wash us clean in His grace. Brothers and sisters, our only hope when we see the depths of our sin is Jesus. Run to Him. Acknowledge your sin to Him. Plead for His forgiveness and for His cleansing and for restored fellowship with Him. And then trust that He will answer your pleas. He is faithful. He will surely do it. Would you pray with me? Father, we need You more than we know. When we see the depths of our sin and our corruption, we see our need for You even more. We pray that You would cleanse us, Father. We pray that our lives will be characterized not just by holy living, but that our thoughts and desires and motivations would be made holy and righteous by Your Holy Spirit. We cannot do these things. So we ask that You would do them. And we ask in the compassionate and merciful name of Jesus. Amen.